You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and you can turn to Acts chapter 22. Acts 22 and the ushers are coming forward with Bibles. And uh, this is in case you don't have a Bible with you this morning. Perhaps you forgot it at home or in the car or you're not sure where it is. You can slip up your hand and, and they would love to give you a Bible. Or you don't have a Bible at home and we would love for you to take this Bible home and to use it today but then to use it through this week and use it in your life to, to uh, allow God's word to teach and inform and, and correct and give life to you. And, and we love God's word here at Hope Bible Church. And so Acts 22, we're continuing on in this uh, sermon series here this morning. You know, so oftentimes we go through life, though, with, with certain goals and certain dreams and desires. And, and, and whether that be for career or family or, or, or retirement, we may have plans for travel, things we'd like to do. Maybe, maybe some, you know, see certain parts of the world like a African safari or you know going maybe to the Holy Land or maybe some exotic trip somewhere to the tropics or or to you know see the Sahara Desert or an Alaskan cruise where you get to explore some glacier ice and and just see the beauty of God's creation or or maybe your goal your dream your desire is to get to northern Saskatchewan and 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 catch one of these babies I, I follow this on Instagram Tazen Lake Resort and and it is a fly-in fishing and those are like 60-pound lake trout, and, and uh, as well as pike fish there. I mean, just amazing beasts that they're catching, and, and, and just love that. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he had some dreams and some desires as well. They're slightly different. It wasn't about catching a big fish. It was going and being a fisher of men, and, and to see God do a work, and, and he lived his life on mission, but an overriding dream, desire, passion that, that he had was to get to Jerusalem. He longed to go there, and, and, and we kind of have worked through this series. We've worked through the uh, different aspects up to Acts chapter 1, right to Acts 22, through various seasons in our church life here. And here we are in Acts 22. He's in Jerusalem. He's now made it the bullseye. Look at the bullseye going up there. He's made it. And, and we were looking at that last week. It was his goal, his dream, his desire, and he, he got there. And, and even though he was warned about imprisonments and danger, that it wouldn't be easy, he pressed on. And last week, and, and, and if you didn't hear the message, you can get it online, or there's even some CDs at the info table that you can, can get if, if that's your technology that you use. And, and uh, in, in Acts 21 last week, we saw that he had an awesome first number of days there in Jerusalem. It was a time of, of celebrating and, and, and reminiscing and talking with the elders there in Jerusalem, and, and James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, just, just telling them all that God had been doing, and then hearing what God was doing in Jerusalem, but then we also found out there were some terrible, nasty rumors going on about Paul. Nasty rumors, and, and, and that kind of squelched the celebration. And, 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 and at, at the end of chapter 21, where we were last week, we found Paul in the temple area, and, and here is a depiction of, of what that may have looked like, and, and, and a replica of that, I guess you could say. And, and here he is in the temple area, and an angry mob is going after him, and they're laying hands on him in a non-Pentecostal way, okay? They're, they're laying hands on him in order to lay a beating on him to try, try to kill him, to try to just finish him off. 
But a Roman tribune, a military commander, heard of the outbreak and wanted to keep the peace, especially during this Feast of Pentecost. And so he sent 100 to 200 soldiers in there to try to calm down the situation without coming and inciting a greater mob or riot mentality. They wanted to keep the calm. And so as they were laying hands on him, the soldiers come in there and, and see that this, group, this band is out of control and he's trying to get a straight answer to find out what exactly is going on, but it's so loud and so crazy. So, so the tribune orders that Paul be bound in chains and taken to the Antonio Fortress that you'll see a little close-up of. There you see it in the first picture that went up in the kind of the top right of, of, of the temple. It was built right next to the temple and this was the place that the Roman guards would, would be based out of and this is where they would keep watch over things and and so he was trying to get him to the Antonio fortress and on the way there Paul is talking to the tribune and and he says hey can I get a chance to speak to these people and and the the commander is quite surprised that that first of all Paul wasn't who one of the rumors said he was some crazy Egyptian uh, riot leader and he found out he wasn't that because hey he's speaking Greek and and it's like okay well he's not who I thought he would be he's not Egyptian and so he asked permission to to speak to the crowd and the tribune says sure go ahead you can speak to the crowd go for it and so now we're gonna pick it up we're picking up the story you ready with your seatbelts on your eyes down on the Word of God as we follow along here starting in verse 1 of chapter 22 Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. So here is Paul standing up. Brothers and fathers. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, well, we'll pause there for a second. Standing in front of this angry mob that was just trying to kill you, that was just laying a beating on you. And he starts out with brothers and fathers. Such a term of endearment, really, in so many ways. I mean, he, I mean, this is a gentle and a polite way to address this angry mob who was just trying to kill you. I mean, if that was me, and I got a chance to speak to this angry mob who was accusing me of some things and now punching the living daylights out of me, I probably would have responded a little bit differently than that, you know? I mean, and, and here he is being so kind, he's finding, uh, associating with them brothers and fathers. If it was me, I probably would have called them a bunch of crummy, crazy, violent, misinformed, rabble-rousing idiots. You know, I would have really tied one on and, 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 and given a defense of, of, of who I was and what I was doing. And, and yet for Paul, was this his moment? Was this the moment that he had been hoping for and praying for and dreaming about? Was this the moment that, to be able to stand before the people and share the gospel and give a defense of who Jesus is, who he really is in front of these Jews who still didn't accept him as Messiah? Is this what he had been hoping and praying about, preaching in Jerusalem? You know, the Greeks used to have a god or, and, and even a statue of this god whose name was Opportunity. True story. I, I mean, I, I read this this week, Googled it, and here is a picture of the Greek god Opportunity. A nice hair job there, right? It's, it, it would be considered today a reverse skullet, all right? That, that, that's what he has. And, 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 but here's the thing about this Greek god is that it was a guy with great long flowing hair in the front, and at the back he was bald. That's opportunity. Just keep it up for one more second here just so they can get a really good look at this because here when it comes to opportunity, you can grab hold of it when it's in front of you, but once it's behind you, it's too late and there's nothing to grab. 
And so Paul sees an opportunity, and he's going to grab it by the front. He's going to grab it. He's going to take it, and and if this is his one shot that he's going to get, he's going to take full advantage of it. He had waited 25 years for this. It's not exactly how he imagined it to go, but here he goes anyways. So so what's he going to say? What do you think he's going to, 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 to speak to this crowd about? I mean, here he gets one shot. And, and he wants, you know, is he going to put all the crazy rumors to rest and say all of the things, you know, just started debunking all of the stories and the rumors going on about him? Or would he preach a sermon? A sermon like he had been preaching over the last 25 years of his missionary journeys, similar to the ones that, that he preached in, in synagogues all throughout Asia Minor on, on these, these journeys and, 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 and seeing God do a great work as he would take Old Testament passages and he would work through passages like Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 and Daniel 9 and Isaiah 53 or, or, or perhaps Psalm 22, all of these Old Testament prophecies and, and foretelling of Jesus. Jesus of the Messiah, and he would help them to, to, to link together the understanding of the Old Testament and, and, and who Jesus is and what he did and, and, and what the cross was all about. And, and, and is that what he does here when he gets this one shot, this one opportunity? No, he doesn't do that. Instead, he does something very different. He tells them a story. Here he has one chance, the intellectual, theological, apologetic, uh, apologetic thinker and and speaker, the apostle Paul, one chance, and what does he do? He tells them a story. You see, he wants them to know that his life is a miracle from the Holy Spirit of God himself. You see, folks, listen up. You got to hear this, and this is so important. Apart from the witness of Jesus Christ and the testimony that we have in the word of God, the greatest testimony to the power of God today in the last 2,000 years are the millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of changed lives. Because every life, every testimony, if you are in Christ today, you are a miracle. A miracle has taken place in your heart, in your life, in your eternal destiny. And Paul wants to share this radical act of God's grace in his life. And today, whether you are a high chair Christian here today, you say, what's that? What's a high chair Christian? Meaning that you grew up in a Christian home and you perhaps accepted Christ at a young age with one of your parents or a grandparent or Sunday school or vacation Bible school. And maybe you kind of think, you know, I don't have, I kind of have a boring testimony. Mine will never be showcased on a screen like we saw earlier today. Or, you know, my testimony isn't one of, you know, just gross areas of of sin and, and destruction in my life. And then I found Jesus. But hey, folks, you hold on. That, if that is your story, that you are a high chair Christian, you have a great story of God's sustaining grace in your life. Years ago, I, have an, I had an uncle, he has since passed away on my mother's side, who, who was kind, my mom didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so my uncle kind of had a very interesting faith, and, and towards the end, I believe he kind of got things right, but, but in his younger years, when we were kids, he was quite a troublemaker in, in various ways, and he would come and visit my family, and, and he would see the way my parents were raising us in the ways of God through, through, through Bible, you know, we spent time 
time in prayer in the morning, time reading God's word, and, and he would hear and see our lives and, and just some of the rules and some of the standards that my parents had for us. And, and he pulled my mom aside and said, listen, you need to expose your kids more to what is going on in the world because when they grow up and they see the temptations and see the lure of the world, they're going to go for it and your kids aren't going to stay here living the Christian life. It was interesting, in my college years, I developed a stronger relationship with him. And then even in my married years, uh, Charlotte joined in that, and we had a wonderful relationship with him. And he ended up going back to my parents and saying, I'm dumbfounded by your kids, Charlene, because you taught them up in the ways of God, and I thought for sure they were going to rebel, and they were going to go, and they were going to experience the things of this world. But your kids know what's going on in the world, and they haven't, ha- haven't been tempted to go in, in those ways or haven't lived in the world in that way. And, and, and folks, that is not an attribute to ultimately my parents. It is God's grace. Yes, my parents steered us and raised us in a good way, but that's only the grace of God. And God's grace keeps us and he sustains us. And so you do have a great testimony if you are a high chair Christian here today. And yet there are those who have come to faith later on in life. You didn't grow up in a home of faith. Instead, it was very opposite to that. Or maybe you did and you rebelled and you went deep into areas of sin. But Christ got in your life, got in your way, and you came to know him. And, and that you took and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ and put him at the center of your life. That, again, just like the high chair Christian or just like the, the person who comes to faith later on in your life, your life is a miracle of God. But every testimony, it's different and yet it's the same. Every testimony that you hear of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ has three very similar aspects to it, and that is what we're going to see here just in a moment. Every testimony is a miracle of God that once you were lost, you were blind, you were dead in sin, please never ever use this phrase because it's not true, and I hear it a lot of times, especially if you're a high chair Christian, just want to say this, when people say, I grew up in a Christian home, I've always been a Christian. No, you weren't. You were born in sin, the Bible teaches us. Even Timber, Mark Purvis, in his cuteness, I bent down and, and looked at him this morning, and, and he, I believe he smiled at me even. I mean, it's probably gas, but, you know, I mean, I mean, still, I mean, this cute little creature that God has made and is gifted to Tyler and to Laura, he's born with a sinful nature. We've all been cut off, separated from God because of our sin. And we must come to the understanding that we have been dead in our sin and that Christ makes us alive and, and, and that we can find real light, we can find spiritual life and spiritual eyes so that the blind can now see. We can be made alive spiritually once we were all headed to hell. But upon genuinely receiving Jesus Christ, we can anticipate the glory of heavy, heaven one day. And so Paul, here he is in front of this angry crowd, And he's standing there and and he's basically saying, this is my story. Listen to my story. This is what Christ has done. And folks, if you're in Christ here this morning, these three aspects, these, these steps, it must be, have to be true in your life if you are in Christ. And I trust that you are. And if you're not in Christ, that today would be that day. There are three progressions that ought to mark every follower of Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts this testimony out. This is my story. And the first one is my life before Christ. Everyone in this room, 
has this as part of your story, your life before Christ. So let's start here now in verse 3 as Paul says and shares his story. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As a high priest and the whole council of elders bear, bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were, who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And so here Paul, as he's addressing the crowd, he's saying to them, look at me, I'm just like you. You are zealous for the law. You're zealous for the Jewish ways, just as I was. I was grabbing hold of imposters and punching them out and getting them to recant or to shut up. And I was uh, punching them and, 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 and seeing that they were put in prison and made to suffer, even die if they wouldn't recant their faith. I am just like you. And, and he goes on to, to even share, them. I would share with them, I was born in Tarsus. That would have gained him some notoriety in the crowd. Ooh, Tarsus. Tarsus was a Greek city known for great education and intellectual thought. He's like, okay, this guy's not a dummy. He was trained in his early years in Tarsus. He's well, he's well trained. But there's more. He says, then I was trained in Jerusalem under Gamaliel who is a highly esteemed rabbi. In today's terminology, Gamaliel would have been like Harvard-trained top professor. This was like when he would have said this, Gamaliel had died just a number of years before this, but his, his legend lived on. There was three main rabbis, and Gamaliel was one of the most sought-after and most respected rabbis. Not many people were a disciple under Gamaliel, but Paul was. And so the people were listening, even with a greater hush, no doubt, as he's sharing this with them. And he's telling them, I was not just some lukewarm Jew. I was zealous for the law. I mean, I even, after creating havoc here in Jerusalem, I even got marching papers. I even got the authority to go to Damascus and, and, and to hunt down Christians, followers of the way, which was a term for Christianity. People who followed Jesus were termed um, not as Christians, but as followers of the way because Jesus had declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. At once, one time he's telling them, I was just like you. I believed what you believed. I was passionate. I was zealous. But then you have to understand something happened. So here he's relating his story, his testimony. And he says, I, I, I was going on through life and then it hit. And this is the second part of his story and this is the second part of your story here today if you are in Christ. It's how I met Christ. Look at in verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul. And you say, why does it say Saul, Saul? Just in case you, um, you don't, don't know this. Um, his name, that was his name before he met Christ. And a little later on, it was changed to Paul. So Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? He answered me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, 
Rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could see, and since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And, and we find this out in Acts chapter 9 as we read about Paul's conversion there in Acts 9. We also know this is about three days later that Ananias came to him. And standing by me, he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. So here I was going to Damascus, wiping out some more followers of the way, and there's this bright light, the Shekinah glory of God. And it's very important, this happened at noon when it was very bright. I understand people who've been to the Holy Land at noontime, the, the direction of, uh, of the sun and where it's just extremely bright, and here it is at noon, it's even brighter than normal. I mean, it is so blinding, and this is the only description is that it is the Shekinah glory of God. And a voice speaking to Paul. And notice he says, who are you, Lord? Paul instantly knew this was not some pyrotechnic sort of theatrical thing going on here. He heard this voice, this bright light. He knew this was a deity. Now, he didn't know who. But he answers respectfully, who are you, Lord? And he finds out it's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting. This is one thing that's pretty cool. Notice what Jesus said to him. He says, why are you persecuting me? Well, Jesus is in heaven. Paul's wiping out Christians. How is he saying that? What does he mean by that? How, how can this be? And yet here's the thing, that when you are in Christ, you are part of God's family. God is your father and Jesus is your brother. And when you pick on a follower of Christ, you're picking on the whole family. You know those movies where somebody's getting beat up or someone just looks like they're in serious trouble and then out of the shadows or, you know, come this group of people and say, you pick on him, you pick on us all. And that is what Jesus is doing there with, uh, is reminding Paul of on the road to Damascus. That when you are persecuting Christians, when you are talking about them, when you are misbehaving in how you're treating them, you are actually doing that to me, to myself. So here we have Paul blinded, confused, knocked off his high horse. You see, that has to happen in all of our lives if we understand biblical Christianity and have our true follower of Christ. We understand who God is and who we are, and Paul got knocked off his high horse he encounters Jesus, the one who he thinks is a hoax, a joke, a fable, who has some passionate, weird followers who are willing to even die for him. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. But now he's confronted by the truth. And everything changes. You see, at some point, we all must be confronted by who Jesus Christ is. It will either happen here on this earth or it will happen the second you reach eternity. And either he will be your Lord and your Savior and the one you will spend eternity with forever. Or you will understand that he is the Lord and the Savior of the universe. And you will be eternally separated from him forever in hell. 
This is the confrontation that we all must or will face one day. You see, up until that time, Paul was the Lord of his life. But here now he's blinded and he's confused and he doesn't know what's going on except he has this encounter with Jesus. He sees that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It all makes sense, all of this now with this encounter with Jesus. And what does he do? He asks this important question, what shall I do, Lord? What do you want me to do? He was the one in control of his own life, living for his passions, religious passions, good passions. I mean, he was well-meaning. He was devout. He was, he, he was just doing what he should do, just like in that testimony that we saw today of a devout Muslim doing what he was supposed to do and yet having no relationship with God, God feeling distance and, and, and just going through the motions. And Paul was very devoted to religion and yet had no relationship with God because that's only possible through Jesus. But when we come to see Jesus for who he really is, that he is God, the Holy One, whom we've all sinned against, and because of that sin, even one sin is enough to make us impure, causing us to be separated from God, deserving his punishment and wrath for that sin, but when we put our faith and our trust, our confidence in Jesus Christ and receive that offer made through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who lived a perfect life here on this earth, who lived, who lived that life, died on the cross for our sins, though he did nothing wrong, a sacrificial death, atoning, paying the price for our sins. He died on the cross, but then rose in victory, conquering sin and death once for all. Paul would later write in Romans, he says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on Jesus Christ in this way, will be saved. To have your sins forgiven, to be reconciled to God, justified, adopted into his family, happens within a moment when we surrender our hearts to him. Here you have this proud, powerful man, now humbled, broken, undone, he needs to be led by others. Instead of leading the charge, he is now being led by his associates. Instead of, people tell, instead of him telling people what to do, he is now asking the most important question, Lord, what shall I do? And you see, that is the proper response to any heart that comes truly to Christ for salvation. It's no longer about me living my life. It's, Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, God doesn't save us. Got to listen up to this because we're so deceived in so many ways here, especially in North America. God does not save us so we get a little bit of insurance policy and we go out and live our own lives and pursue our own plans and our own agenda. That's not biblical Christianity. You don't find that in the New Testament. It's not about praying some prayer, kind of like a little, you know, sort of, you know, in the back of a little tract or, or you know, that you find on the internet and, and, and maybe even having some emotional experience with that and, you know, to keep you out of hell, that's a good thing. And if that's the case, if, if that's what you believe biblical Christianity is, that's a false gospel that you're believing. You see, Jesus said to his disciples and his disciples left everything to follow him. When the rich young man came to Jesus and Jesus said, be willing to, Jesus said, sell your possessions, give it to the poor and follow me. And he says, I can't, I can't do that. Jesus said, count the cost if you're going to be a follower of mine. 
Not just fool yourself by thinking, oh, I have a little bit of Jesus and now I just go and pursue my best life here on earth. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life and the pursuits and, and goals and dreams, but, but, but what say does Jesus have in this in your life? What say does Jesus have with your time? You live in it, spending it on your own, or is it, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Lord, what would you have to me, me to do when it comes to serving in your kingdom? Lord, what would you have me to do with my finances? Just send it, just, just, just figure it all on myself and, and, and spend it however I want, whatever pleasures and pursuits that I want, and hmm, if at the end I'll give to some charity or give to the Lord's work. No, it's, it's a primary question that happens initially. Lord, what would you have me to do? And it's a continual one of, Lord, what would you have me to do today? And it's a tough question to ask because we're selfish and we have the pull of the world and the flesh and the devil that just comes in after us. But daily it's coming to him and saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's the initial response and it's the continual response and we see that all throughout Paul's life. And this takes us then to the third part of the testimony, the, the third step, if you want to call it, it's my life since I met Christ. What has happened since then? Look at verse 14, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, meaning Jesus the Messiah, and to hear a voice from his mouth. Verse 15, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have heard, what you have seen and heard. Here Paul receives his commission from Ananias. He tells him, you will be a witness to him, to everyone. Paul has this radical conversion and is now appointed to a very unique role. To go out to be a missionary, an evangelist, apologist, a church planter, a preacher. You know what? That same calling is on each, each one of us as well. What did Jesus say to his disciples? What did he say to all of us as his disciples before he ascended into heaven? In the Great Commission, he says, and you will be my witnesses. It's not you might be or, hey, if he kind of got some time left over, you know, like, you know, he might want to consider it. No, he says, you will be my witnesses. Write down 2 Corinthians 5. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe Jesus, believe what Paul would write later on in 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 14, he says, for the love of God controls us and compels us. It controls us, compels us for the love of God in this way. And he goes on to say that we are in Christ, and if we're in Christ, we've then been reconciled to God. And if we're reconciled to God, we are now ministers of reconciliation. You're all in full-time ministry. I just happen, I'm in full-time ministry and I happen to get paid for it. You people are to be good and in full-time ministry, and I guess we could say you're good for nothing. No, that didn't go over so well, but, but, but you're not. We're all to be good. We're all to be witnesses of his. We're all to be ministers of rec reconciliation, whether it's at school, the workplace, your family, your coworker, your neighborhood. He's placed you there for a purpose to be that minister of reconciliation, reconciling people who are in sin, who are apart from God towards Christ, 
towards a relationship with Christ. You can't force it, but we sure can share it, and we sure can pray, and we sure can encourage it, and sometimes it takes a long time. We're all to be ambassadors for Christ. And, and look in verse 16, it says, and now, why do you wait? It's like, come on, let's go. You, 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 you can now see, now you're to be a witness. Come on, get rolling. And, and what does he say? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins and calling on his name. Now, I just need to clarify this here for a second because I don't want you to be confused about the order of what this says here. This is a verse that some people will take and they will take and use this as a support for regenerational baptism, meaning that in order to be truly saved, you must believe, but you also must be baptized, that you're not fully saved, you're not in Christ until you're baptized. And that's what this, this is how this would read here. But that would go against dozens of verses in the New Testament that does not teach that. Even Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, we are saved by God's grace, not by works, and baptism would be a work. The sentence structure in the original Greek is not explained well, and I just, I mean, in, 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 not explained well in the English, it's explained perfectly in the Greek, but not in English. And, 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 and because of this, there's two imperatives, two infinitives, and the middle voice is used three times, and so it's just a smattering of just, just, just a, a Greek scholar's nightmare. And so this is what it would actually say in a better way for it to translate into the English. A better way of saying it is, having called on the name of the Lord and having your sins washed away, be baptized. And so, so just that little clarification for you, but also this point, there is an urgency to baptism. Baptism is not a graduation party, it is a birthday party. So oftentimes we think that, well, I got to kind of master this and read the Bible through and I got to do this and I got to make sure I've got some good, you know, steady, you know, growth in my life happening. No, baptism is one of the first and initial and honestly, it's going to be one of the easier steps of obedience. It certainly was for Paul. You look at the rest of his life, it was not an easy step of obedience. Baptism was. And so here he is, he, the call is to be baptized. And, and I like what Pastor Paul Carter said. It's, it's at the start of the walk that we are baptized. And, and he said it like this. He says, it's like when the doctor spanks your newborn bum and you make your voice heard to the entire world. That's what baptism is. It's just declaring what God has done in your life and your desire to live for him and follow him for the rest of your life. And so, have you committed your life to him as Lord and Savior? Then be baptized if you haven't yet been baptized. And speak to myself, speak to Brett, speak to one of the elders, leaders here in the church, and we would love to help you in that. And then Paul tells us what happened next. Look at verse 17. He says, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, and so here he is, the new newly saved, converted Paul, baptized, able to see again. He's in the temple. He's praying. He, he's in Jerusalem. I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another that I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. He's saying, Lord, like, hey, I've got this amazing story. I could be of some real use to you here because people know me and they're going to see this, this change, this transformation that's happened. And, but he said, he said, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Paul, I have other plans for you. Your plans are to stay in Jerusalem, but it's not going to be safe there. And I have another plan for you. Are you going to follow? And Paul does. And it's to go to the Gentiles. 
I mean, when he heard that, probably it was, you ever put, if any of you are from the prairies, there's some of it here, but it's more prominent in the prairies. Anyone know what a choke cherry is? You ever had one of those? Awesome syrup, awesome jam. I mean, just, just delicious. But you need a lot of sugar to counteract the, that puckerness. And when Charlotte and I go for a walk, there's, there's a certain pond that we go to, and there's some berries there, and, and she has made some jam or, and, or some syrup with that. But when, when you have to test it to see if they're ready, I mean, you put it in your mouth, and it just, just you're going like this because it's like putting chalk in your mouth. Well, when the Lord told Paul to go to the Gentiles, that would have been like putting mouthful after mouthful after mouthful of choke chairs. <laughs> Serious? The Gentiles? They're pigs. We don't like them. We can't stand them. And yet he accepts this mission that God has given, and he is faithful to it. It's about accepting the situation that we have, folks, that, that God has given to us. And this is the whole thing. Life will take unexpected twists and turns. In your life of following Christ, it's not going to go as you planned. Not at all. In fact, it will probably go in many directions opposite to how you have planned it out. But please listen to me, follower of Christ. You need to hear this. We are called to stay the course, believing and trusting that God knows what he is doing, even when life takes turns and twists, whether that's relational, physical, financial, mental, Whatever it is that we face, whatever it is that we go through, we have to understand that God is there. And, and, and yet so oftentimes when these things happen, our confidence gets rattled, gets shaken. And yet it's about accepting the situation as from God. And knowing that God has allowed this to happen. And that God will see you through as you faithfully continue to keep trusting him. You see, loved it again, this is where our confidence is. Our confidence, oftentimes, it gets so easily rattled and so shaken. God, why are you allowing this? I've been faithful to you. I've read my Bible. I've gone to church. I've raised children. I've worked in this area. I've prayed. I've served. I've, I'm trying, God. And now this happens? How can this be right? How can this be fair? And it thinks at times, at times we can think that because we are faithful that God then owes us one. But folks, you see, we have to understand that our faithfulness is a statement of our confidence in God. Not in the results. Our faithfulness isn't about getting results, but it is a statement in the confidence that God is mighty and he is faithful and that he will see us through. And so whatever it is that you're facing today, Life since following Christ for some has become much more difficult, and it will from time to time or through seasons or through long seasons, but our confidence must not be shaken in a God who loves us, a God who is sovereign over all things, and he will see us through. The unexpected turns continued for Paul. Let's look at verse 22, and it says, up to, uh, up to this word they listened to him. So up until this point of the testimony, people are listening, and it, but then it says, then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not even be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks, probably to lay a beating on them, and, and this is weird, and flinging dust into the air, so I don't know what that means, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying, what should that he should be examined by flogging to see out why they were shouting against him. 
You see, the very moment that Paul said that God saved me so I could go and go to the Gentiles, that's where they lost it. Up until then, it seemed like they're listening, they're listening, they're listening, but God would tell you to go to the Gentiles. God would never tell you to go to the Gentiles. God is for the Jews, he's not for the Gentiles. And they had a very rude awakening in the years to come as they see a great following of people come to faith who were Gentiles. The tribune had no idea what was going on because Paul had addressed them in Hebrew. The tribune didn't understand Hebrew. And so he's like, what did you say to tick them off? You, you asked me, Paul, for a word. You say this, and now the mob is going crazy. Let's lay a licking on you, Paul. We're going to flog you, and we're going to get you to talk and tell us the real. I mean, the drama here is incredible. You can read what ended up happening to him, but once again, the Lord saved him from that flogging. And God is faithful in that way, but Paul from this point will no longer be a free man. He will continue to live, but he will be living with chains. He will be imprisoned, either in prison or under house arrest. Through a series of legal processes, he, 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 he avoids the flogging, but for the rest of his life, he would use this season of his imprisonment to write letters to young churches, to young pastors, that we have in the word of God today. He would still preach and defend the gospel in prison wherever he would. He would share Christ to fellow, fellow prisoners, soldiers, to tribunes, whoever would visit him, to governors, kings and queens. He would continue on and be faithful. This is Paul's story. How he, his life before Christ, how he met Christ, and his life since meeting Christ. What's your story? You have one. And I'd encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ, that you would be able to write that story, you would be able to share that story, that there would be a two-minute version of that story, ten-minute version, and maybe a over-the-coffee 30 or 40-minute version of the story of how God has saved you and how he's continuing to keep working in your life. You all have a story. And we all must share it and tell others and live like the Apostle Paul. I want to close with three important realities. You might want to quickly write this down because this is all stems from God's amazing grace, his amazing grace for us. And the first one is God's amazing grace sets us free from the shame of the past so we can walk in the wonder of his grace. Think about that. Look at Paul. The things that he had done before Christ, receiving forgiveness and freedom to be able to live for Christ, set free from the shame. He was the first real Christian terrorist, if you want to call it, going after Christians. But now he can experience the wonder of God's grace. Nothing from your past, nothing from any of our past can prevent us from receiving God's amazing grace in our life. No matter how we have failed, no matter how we have fallen, his grace is greater than that old hymn, an amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, a wretch like you. Have you committed your life to Christ? Or are you still in stage one of what we talked about here today, your life before Christ? If you are not a follower of Christ today, your greatest miracle still awaits you. Where your eternal destiny will be changed in a moment, but even greater than that, your heart will be changed. You see, nothing will satisfy in this world and nothing will make sense. There will be temporary satisfactions, but it will keep coming up dry over and over again until there's a genuine relationship with Christ. 
And it's not through praying some scripted prayer. It's in your heart, and you can do this today, confessing to God that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior, and that sin has separated you from God. But Jesus Christ came and died in your place. And as you confess your sin to him, thanking him for his sacrifice, by faith you put your trust in him, confessing your sins, turning from your way, forsaking all others. Jesus, you're number one in my life. What would you have me to do? Willing to count the cost. When you offer a prayer with those elements in it to God, just a, a reflection of your heart, you will be changed. You will be transformed in a moment. Your heart will be changed. And God will start doing that work of becoming more and more like Christ, like where all of us are somewhere on that journey. The second thing about God's amazing grace means that our past can be used to give hope to others. We can share trials from before we were saved or perhaps even through the Christian life. I've had a number of things happen in my life that in the midst of them, I thought it was hell. In the midst of them, I thought it would be the end of me. One of them physically, I thought it would bring the end to me physically. The other one career, ministry-wise, thought it would be the end of me. And it was in the midst of each one of those situations when I had to learn to say, God, I thank you for this situation, no matter how hard, difficult, unfair, brutal, whatever it is that I'm in, God starts doing that work in your life. He did that work in my life, and I'm grateful for the trials and the valleys that I now look at and say, God, thank you for that journey because of what you had to teach me, what you, how, how I experienced you in new and a deeper way. Your past can mean hope for others as they hear you share your story of Christ at work in you. And thirdly, amazing grace compels us to live for God's purposes over and above our own. Whose purpose are you living for today? Is your life basically just kind of pointing all about you and all about your plans, your goals, your dreams? As we grow in our understanding and the depth of his mercy and his grace, our passions and, and desire for him should be growing and growing more as he captivates more and more of our heart, becoming less and less about ourselves and more and more about him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for testimonies like the Apostle Paul. Thank you for testimonies in this room that exist in incredible ways of how you have saved so many lives here some being high chair Christians to others who are, came to know you later on in the journey of life and, and you've done great and amazing things in each one of us and we thank you for it. God, I pray that we would continue to renew that faith and that trust, our commitment to you. Daily we would be praying that prayer like Paul, Lord, what would you have me to do? Would that be our mission, as we share our story with others, that we would be able to declare, this is what Christ has done. I once was lost, I now am found. I once struggled deeply in this area, or I'm currently struggling in this area, and yet Jesus is holding on to me. He's keeping me in his grip, even though at times I feel I'm falling far from him. And God, I pray that you would touch each one of us here. We would examine our lives. We would extend our hearts to you today 
to do that work of confession, of repenting any areas in our lives that we need to, to confess you as Lord and Savior of our life, or to confess to you that other things have become a distraction and our lives are more about us than more about you. And would we be witnesses who, like Paul, would take advantage of every opportunity we have this week to say, hey, I want to share with you my story, the story of Jesus. Jesus.